What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Into Infinity, a Dream Theater-centric podcast. I am your host, John. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMSNetwork.com. We are live at those four locations every other Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you are watching on YouTube, please click that like button and click that subscribe button and smash the notification bell so that you are notified every single time we go live. If you would like to catch video replays of the show, just go to our YouTube channel or you can go to the YouTube channel of the CMS Network. And if you would like to download audio versions of the podcast, just Google Talking Into Infinity Podcast and we are on any number of platforms that you can think of. So check out the show there as well. Without further ado, let me bring on my amazing co-host, he of the broken fingers, potentially. Uh, Mr. Brian Hendrickson, how's it going? I noticed you dumped out for a second there. Internet problems, sir? Dude, that was weird. Yeah, it totally just said I was gone. And I got kind of freaked out because we do have snow coming down pretty heavy here. So if for some reason you do lose me, that's going to be why. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh-oh, I'll be soloing. You know I live in the middle of the snow belt out here. So yeah. We well, but, it, though. but you are uh, you are in some new digs. I I hear like I can't really I, tell from the image because I know it's a blue screen. But you're all moved in now, huh? Yep, I'm in my new man cave. I'm uh, actually staring at soundproofing. I got those cool little like kind of like the pyramidal like the, the squares, and it looks all official and stuff, and uh, everything's all tied together nicely behind the computer, and um, it's nice, man. It's cool. It's my first home, and. Everything looks great. It's fun. Uh, my man cave is is pretty much done. I just need a couple other things. And uh, yeah, it, I'm officially a homeowner. So next, uh, I believe it's next Thursday, Wednesday, next Wednesday actually comes the absolute shell shock of writing my first mortgage check. Uh, so you know the monthly expenses went up by about nine hundred dollars. So a little bit of sticker shock there. But nice. uh, and then of course right as that happens, the, the heat on the wife's car goes out. The guy calls today and says, "Boy, we never see this. It's going to be expensive." Ah, great, perfect. So, um, but yeah. So before we get started, uh, we do have uh, two things to talk about real quick. We have a bit of Dream Theater news, some quick stuff in case some of you guys did not see this. But first and foremost, uh, I am going to do a shot here, my Van Halen shot glass, because today would have been Eddie Van Halen's 68th birthday. And if I've said it once, I've said it, I've said it a million times. It is wildly unfair that Ted Nugent is alive and Eddie Van Halen is dead. So, uh, God, if you're listening, I will happily trade Ted Nugent straight up for... Uh, for Eddie Van Halen. So cheers to Eddie Van Halen. Wish he was still around. Here we go. This is uh, potent stuff, so this might be rough. <laughs> 68 Eddie would be. Wow, that's that's hard to fathom. So Alex, is, is he's younger or older? I can never remember. Alex is the older brother by two oh, years. Oh, yeah, so he's over. So him and Sammy are both pushing, are over 70 then, huh? Wow, that's crazy. Uh, Alex will be 70 this year. 70 this year, okay. Yeah, he was born in 53. Eddie was born in 55. Wow. So, uh, all right. So the piece of dream theater news that we have, which we don't get a lot of, except for the fact that they're on tour. So for those of you guys, uh, who did not see this, this probably won't come as too much of a surprise to a lot of us, but, uh, Mike Portnoy has come out and admitted that he actually does have some slight involvement with the lost, not forgotten archives. So I, I wasn't really surprised to see that. Um, 
it makes sense because he's kind of the curator of all things Dream Theater. At least he was until, you know, he left in 2010. Uh, KL wants to wish you a happy new year, by the way. Brian says, whoops, missed the start. Happy new year, albeit a late one, Brian. Thanks. So, yeah, so Portnoy did an interview uh, a couple days ago, I believe, and uh, he said, you know, I was one trillion percent involved with the originals. In fact, that was my project. I was the one that had the archives and put together all these releases with photos from my archives and extensive liner notes. So I was the one that put together the original Yitzhak Jam bootlegs back, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. So there were about 16 or 20 titles that I did back then. So when they started reissuing these as their new Lost Not Forgotten series, I wasn't involved at all. They were doing it on their own. But they were reusing a lot of my original Yitzhak Jam titles. So I was appearing on them, but I wasn't involved in any of the artwork or anything like that. And it kind of bummed me out because I spent so much time on the originals with the liner notes. The liner notes are real important for people to have context of what went behind all these demos or live shows or whatever. So I wasn't involved in these new reissues, but then John and myself started working together again in 2020. I played on a solo album, and then me and him and Jordan and Tony Levin did a third Liquid Tension Experiment record. So once John and I started working together, inevitably I brought it up to him, hey man, what's up with that? Why aren't the liner notes there anymore? And I noticed some wrong things on some of the credits on the ones that they released without my involvement. So he was like, hey, if you don't mind overseeing some of the credits and things like that, you know, just making sure everything's factually correct because I'm very, very anal about that. So after about their first five or six releases, John started tying me in to make sure that at least all the info was correct. Sadly, they're still not using my artwork or liner notes, but that's their prerogative. And then once I got involved on that level, him and the band's manager asked if I'd be willing to maybe contribute some more things from my archives. And I was like, you know, what the hell? Why not? There's a bunch of things in my archives that it's just a waste for them to just be sitting here at my house. So I contributed a bunch of new titles, like they just released our show at Madison Square Garden, opening for Iron Maiden. That's a new one. And then there's a few others that are coming out soon that came from my archives. So I'm slightly involved at this point, not as much as I was with the originals, but enough where I can give them a few new titles to add to the collection. Uh, he said, obviously, I appear on all of the original Yitzhak Jam titles. Then there's some new ones I'm contributing from my time from my archives, but they also have a bunch of post-MP stuff that they're putting out as well. And uh, he says, the only bummer for me with the liner note thing is now I think they have it streaming on some of the streaming services, and there's no context for any of this stuff. Somebody emailed me a few days ago, hey, what's the deal with this song I just heard? And I was like, where the hell did you hear that? And they were like, oh, it's on Apple Music or Spotify. And they didn't know who was on it. They didn't know who's the singer. There's some things on there that are demos with different singers. And without the context of my liner notes, it's almost impossible for people to know what the hell these things are. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. So that is Mike Portnoy coming out and admitting that he is actually actively working with, oh, I don't know, actively, but um, he is contributing to the Lost Not Forgotten archives. I mean, are you surprised by that at all? Because I, I really was not. No, and I think I think it absolutely has to be because, like he said, he is you know a shocker. Mike Portnoy's ain't all about details. <laughs> when did this <laughs> right. come out? This is new to anyone, right? Right. Uh, no, I mean I think he had to be involved in all that, especially considering, you know, the 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 large majority and percentage of all that is is the stuff when he was still in the band, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean it, it's kind of a must. In uh, you know, I'm just curious. How many times do you think he has ever talked to Mike Mangini since Mangini joined the band? You think ever or a few times? Because he was originally the drum tech, wasn't he? Mangini? No, no, no. 
Um, Eric Desrude, I think, was his name. Why did I think Mangini um, was somehow involved with them before, though? They were friends. Oh, okay. I mean, they I knew thought, each other and stuff I, like that. I thought in the documentary there was something about he had done something with them originally. No, uh-uh. Okay. No, he, I mean, Mangini played on uh, some Labrie solo stuff. Okay. So there, so there's that connection. But in terms of Portnoy and Mangini, no, it was, they were they were friends. Okay. Um, but yeah, there wasn't like you know he did anything uh, with Dream Theater. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, again, I I really wasn't surprised. It's kind of like much ado about nothing. But it, you know, it's it's just interesting because I you know of course it stokes for some fans I'm sure, and I've seen some of the message boards like people thinking, oh, see, this is more proof that he's coming back and stuff like that. And it's like, no, it's. The guy was in the band for 25 plus years and he has all this crazy stuff and he's friends with the band again. Like, why wouldn't he? Hey, here you go. You know, it's it's just sitting there collecting dust. And I'm sure that, you know, there's probably like a financial arrangement somehow. Um, you know, so he's probably making a few bucks off it, too. So do we legit um, think it's never going to happen, though? Like, at least not for one album. I I don't think it'll happen. I think I think the only way it would happen is if Mangini just decided to like quit i i think if mangini decided to leave the band voluntarily i think it would happen um but i don't think they're gonna actively seek it out right i guess they were like hey we're gonna do an album with thorough drummer yeah we'll see you in like a year (laughs) like a kiss thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i just you know i i don't think they want to go back to that that style of working i mean it's it's more democratic this way i think um, you know, Jordan and, and Petrucci run the show, obviously, but, um, you know, there's there's more much more input and open communication, I think, between the band members now with without Portnoy and they're kind of like, you know, leading the charge. So and I I think they like I think they like it that way. So and I mean, they've, they've been on record so many times saying it's absolutely never going to happen. Like Mangini's the drummer until we're done or he wants to leave. Um, and, and, you know, these guys are, you know, we've been able to take them at their word so far on everything. So I wouldn't expect this to be anything different. It's a little different than when Motley Crue says we'll never, ever perform <laughs> live again. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a little little, little different situation there on, and on all levels. It does. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, all right, well, let's dig into tonight's topic. I know this is um, one of the last few records that we uh, have not done a deep dive on and this is a record i know for you personally this is uh this is gonna be a good one for you because this is one of your favorite records so you know that's that's gonna be pretty cool and it's funny that you brought up uh portnoy considering this is the first album without mike portnoy Yes, it kind of kind of timely news have Portnoy news as we're talking about the first non-Portnoy record. Uh, be cool or be podcast out checking in. Says, hey guys, what's up? What is up, podcast? Good to see you, man. Uh, Robert Reams has a thought. One final thought on Mangini. He says, just hope there won't ever be pressure to oust Mangini. Don't think he deserves that. Uh, I, I don't think I don't think that'll happen. Um, you know, well, I, I, those guys they, don't give into that kind of thing or think that way. Yeah, it's not not their way, but. So yeah, let's let's get into a dramatic turn of events. Obviously, this was uh, you know the first non-Mike Portnoy record, and um, I, I think all of us were were waiting on, on with bated breath to see what the band would sound like. Like, would it be different at all? Would it 
you know, how, how, how would this, how would the band continue without basically their leader? So I, I know when, when this was announced, I was completely shocked. I was like, Mike Portnoy leaving dream theater. What the hell? That's like, that's like Eddie Van Halen leaving Van Halen. <laughs> like he he's, he's like the, the main driving force. So, you know, what were your initial impressions when Portnoy left and then, you know, this record comes out, you're like, all right, let's, let's see what post Mike Portnoy dream theater sounds like. Like what were your thoughts and reactions at that time? Well, kind of similar to Van Halen, I was shocked that they got an album out that fast. I mean, what was it? Only two years, I think. Yeah. 2009, you know, and, and Van Halen, they, they pumped out the first Sammy in 86. Right. Um, I think that, that, that really floored me. Like I thought, okay we're getting a new guy whatever i don't know it i was thinking almost like a Def leopard situation or something yeah i'm like it's gonna be five years you know yeah and then knowing kind of what we know about these guys now like well that was obviously never gonna happen they're never wait that long to make an album yeah but uh yeah i I don't know man the first time i heard the opening track and uh, we'll get into the songs in a minute i i was like i don't know that i could necessarily tell a difference it's one of those things like you know, it's hindsight always twenty twenty. Like, oh, I could totally tell. I could totally tell. And it's like, yeah, but what if you didn't know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you didn't know. Could you really tell? And then I think if you kind of listen to, especially the those two albums, back to black, black cards, and this, like, I think it's pretty fairly obvious. You can you can tell that there's something a little bit different going on. Yeah. I mean, it, it's taken me up until very recently to really be able to nail down what the difference is between, like, you know, the Mangini sounding Dream Theater is as opposed to the Portnoy stuff. And it, you know, it's obviously it's the difference in the drummers, you know, goes without saying. But I think it's, you know, I, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, but, you know, Mike uh, Portnoy has a little bit more of that rock feel to him, whereas Mangini is much more, it's that precision style. You know, it's like whereas Portnoy can kind of let it hang a little bit. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't see Mangini pulling off a record like talk or uh, I almost did it again, uh, falling into infinity, as well as Mike Portnoy. I mean, I can't say that for sure, obviously, because you know Mangini's done stuff like Extreme and all that, but um, I just feel like that was the stylistic difference. And uh, even that being said, I'm with you. I didn't really notice a very big difference. I will say, however, that I had, you know, we we mentioned on a previous episode, I was talking about, you know, Adrenalize, the the first Def Leppard record without Steve Clark. And I felt like I could hear something missing from that core sound. And and I I felt that a little bit with with uh, Dramatic Turn. I was like, okay, like, and I don't know if that's necessarily just because there was a change or if it's because I was so, you know, it was so in my mind, like, oh, Portnoy's not there. Like, I, I don't know which of the two it was. But, um, you know, as we kind of hinted at, this, this, this has become one of your favorite records. Was this an immediate listen for you? Did you really get into this initially? Or is this kind of one that's kind of, you know, over the years, it's kind of like crept up your list and you're like, you know, I really love that one. That's like a top three, top two record for me. So this is one of of those albums when I was in one of my old positions, same company I'm at, at now, used to listen to a lot of CDs at, at work. And I had this and I don't know, I just, I think it took maybe a month or two after the single came out and I'd had the album a, a month or two. And cause you know, sometimes you buy a CD or no matter what band you're out singing, you're like, Oh cool. And you listen to a couple songs and you're like, yeah, I don't know. You're just not ready yet. Whatever. 
as hyped as you are sometimes you're just not ready like it's almost like spoiling the movie in the end you know like i want to hold off you know yeah yeah this thing was just and it's also again it's kind of a hindsight thing like when you get something so ingrained in you is it because it's ingrained in you that it's good or that you know what's coming or is it just because it's great in general and there there is i think a little bit of a fine line when you can get that and you get mix the two sort of concepts together but uh i don't know the more i hear it it's just it's just to me it's the most cohesive piece of of thing front to back that they did since images and it really just sort of reminded me of images and it's been blasted all over how there's comparisons to it in, in various ways and um to me it, it just it just feels very comfortable okay i mean by the way good analysis you're like it's the most cohesive piece of thing yeah. <laughs> that's what people like people come to us for our, 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 yeah, our incredible cool. insight piece <laughs> of music you know that yeah thing, whatever that word is <laughs> Well, let, let's dig into it by by song, you know, uh, dig into it by song. And, you know, I've got some notes at the end that I have kind of as like, you know, overarching points regarding the record. Uh, obviously, you know, it starts out with uh, the lead single on the backs of angels. And, um, you know, right off the bat, I, I've always thought that they should have chosen a different first song to introduce the world to the Mangini era. Um and I think that kind of is evidenced by the fact that, you know, I mean, this is one of the only times they didn't open the tour set list with the, you know, the the, intro, the opening track from the new record. So uh, that that to me was really interesting. And I when I first heard the song, I was like, OK, you know, I, I was I was kind of hoping they come out with like a barn burner, you know, maybe something like, you know, build me up, break me down or something like that or you know bridges in the sky or something so you know something that kind of bridges the gap between the, the different eras and says okay we're still here we still got balls and on the backs of angels i i it was it was kind of a surprise to me it was almost like when van halen put out a different kind of truth which is a fantastic record and you have no say in that opinion whatsoever because you're wrong but yeah, they put out Tattoo, and I was like, okay, like I like that song. But as I listened to the record, I'm like, man, I would have picked like She's the Woman or You and You, so, something else. One of the other because, horrible songs on there, yeah. Oh, I shut forget. up, man. <laughs> and, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like they could have gone with a stronger song choice. But I mean, that being said, it's a good song. Um, I really like the lead-ins to the choruses, like da 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 Like, that's, that's cool. Um, sometimes they might get a hair dragged out, I think, but... I like it. it. I I don't subscribe to the opinion people have had that it follows the charts of pull me under. I just think you know if you're gonna dig that much into it, like you're you're just looking for reasons to dislike the song or the album. So I don't get into that. But um, yeah, I mean it's a good solid song, man. It's got some, uh, you know, uh, Alex Neal. Good to see you, man. He says I think opening with the clean arpeggios rather than heavy riffs works well. Um, yeah. I I just think again it just wasn't it, it just wasn't like a, a really strong you know when you come out with like enemy inside or you know constant motion or something like that like you're like okay this is a banger and this isn't really a banger so I was just kind of surprised by that choice so um uh what 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 are your thoughts on on the backs of angels 
I guess I see what you're saying, but this, this I'm so used to this is the opening song, and like I don't know, it, it has so many of the of of the elements that I love, and I think my favorite part of all is that little piano breakdown about two thirds through, because it reminds me a little bit of. Do you remember? Um, so the video the the video for making of a systematic chaos, where they're tracking his keyboards and and he's playing this big piano thing, and then. And Portnoy's like, try it again, try it again. And so it does this thing. It's like four times. He's like, wait a minute, that's way too over the top, way too over the top. <laughs> yeah. And he kind of almost does that on that part. And I love it. Like, I don't know. I, I, I think to me, this 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 album and Jordan's playing is it might be one of my well, it's one of my favorite albums. So I just I think I just love everything he's doing, especially on the on the piano parts. I don't know. There's there's something about the orchestration of all these songs and the different sounds and the melodies there's there's never really a there's just never a letdown on here and and i i just i have to go back to images and words as the only album that i personally get that feeling from okay well kale is kale's in agreement with you he says i do still feel this album has a hell of a lot of images and words similarities but to an extent, I think it's right because I feel that Mangini was the change that marked their career shift as much as James's did. All right, that's, that's a good point. You can make that, that comparison. Um, yeah, I, I don't really get images and words vibes off of this one. I, In going back and re-listening to this record, which granted is not one of the ones I really go back to a lot, I, I, I think, you know, and I might as well get into a couple of my notes here since you brought it up, but... um. I've always thought that this record has kind of like an Octavarium-esque production to it. Um, I think it could have benefited from being a little fatter, especially in the drums. I thought they were a little thin. Um, and I, you know, I, I just think the defining sound of this is that it's atmos atmospheric keys over heavy riffing and not a ton of speed really anywhere to be found. It's kind of like a mid-tempo, like heavy guitars over really atmospheric keys. Like Jordan Rudis's keyboards and a lot of the stuff is very much like movie soundtrack-ish to me. You know, creates a lot of, you know, just, I don't even know how to describe it. But, I mean, you know you know where I'm going with this. I'm, I'm a complete idiot. But, um, you know, and, and it's a good record, and I think it really has its own kind of sound. Um, I do think that some of the songs kind of blend together a little bit, but that's not really a big deal to me i mean it's it's kind of how i feel about a view from the top of the world and that's a kick-ass record so um all right so i can see that okay well getting into track two we have build me up break me down which is another of those awesome john petrucci you know seven string you know banging riffs that he can he puts out there um Jordan is playing to me some really ethereal keyboard parts on this so i really i really like that and again, I, that's in a lot of the songs here, so that's really cool. I really like what he did on this record, keyboard-wise, because it, it, to me, it's almost like the non-solo parts stand out more than the solo parts. That's kind of like how I feel about this one. Uh, this has James screaming his nuts off underneath, you know, the ends of the choruses, which is really like, like I love that. That's really really cool. I'm a big fan of when he does that, and um. That halftime grind riff in the middle is just, you know, and then, you know, Jordan's keys are in there. It's, 
I, I really like this song. This is one of my favorites off the record. I, I've, I, this is this was the one that really stood out to me when I got through this one, and obviously "Breaking All Illusions" were the two standouts for me when this record came out. Um, what do you have for "Build Me Up, Break Me Down"? Well, that was one of the ones that ended up on our uh, intro to Dream Theater. Uh, <laughs> yep. Don't get too insane, you know. Songs. Yep. Yeah, I, I love the like kind of little electronic drum thing beginning. I don't know. If, I guess it's almost like disturbed-ish, you know, for lack of a better term. Um, to me, the song, it sounds like something that would have been on, on one of Portnoy's solo albums almost, you know, not the last album where it was a little more singer-songwriter-esque, I guess. But uh, it, it seems like it could have fit on one of the other ones. Like this, You mean you mean James's solo stuff? Oh, sorry. on Le, Yeah, Bree's solo album. Okay, sorry. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it totally sounds like it could have been something off of one of those, you know. Um, yeah. Just the feel to it and stuff and the, and the way he's singing it. and uh, Yeah, cool song. I, I don't know how often they bust this one out. I wish it would be more personally, but. Yeah, I don't think they really touch a lot of the stuff on this record outside of Breaking All Illusions. I can't remember the last time we really, you know, got one of these. And well, we did get bridges in the sky. Yeah. Well, good good point. But, I guess I'm I'm thinking of but prior yeah, to other, that. Other than those, I don't know. Yeah, I mean the other two ever since this tour, they haven't you know, the other three tours that they did, they they didn't really touch on this record much, which is interesting. Um Robert Reams says he's a big fan of James on this one. Guitar riffs are great. Cam McLeish says, Build Me Up, Break Me Down is such a different song, man. It's a weird one to kind of talk about. It's almost a new metal approach, but it's so dream theater as well. Yeah, I, this is a more, that's that's one of the things. I think this is a more straightforward song. And I, I, I think that's also kind of one of the hallmarks of this record. There's not a ton of those massive, huge, proggy breakdowns that, you know, we got used to from dream theater prior to this. Would you agree with that, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, it's... What's cool about it is it's heavy as hell, but then it, you build me up, you break. Like, that's not heavy, but it's the juxtaposition of the two things together. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it is definitely straightforward-ish. I think a lot of the riffs on here sort of give you those, you know, mid-tempo, chunky, you know, maybe we're going to start a mosh pit, maybe not, because maybe it's not <laughs> You know what I mean, though? But, it's yeah. like, you know, it's the palms chugging away, you know, kind of thing. It's sort of like very lighter version of you know train of thought you know what i mean like you're getting some of those type of riffs but they're nowhere near as i guess brutal yeah no i, w- I would totally agree i mean the, the, i mean the heavy songs are just heavy you know they're they've got some balls to it it's i it, you know i'm glad you mentioned train of thought because to me it's always seemed kind of like if you mixed octavariums like more straightforward parts with the heaviness of train of thought i, I think that's kind of what you get is the result on on this album so um you know uh that of course leads us into track number three which is lost not forgotten uh to me this first time the tempo kind of picks up on the record which was another interesting choice to me you know build me up break me down is great but it you know it didn't have that you know panic attack or something like that like it just kind of like moves right off the bat and this is the first time we got you know uh, you know the tempo is picking up here. Um, I love the second verse, you know, the the ride symbol intro and the bass run, like the bass is, you know, kind of going in like with the ride symbol and everything and just completely changing up the vocal with the melody and the delivery and everything. 
Um, that was really cool. Um, ah, look, look, look who's show, look who's showing up here. Our good friend Sarcasmo Asholio four twenty. What's up, man? Long time no see. Says Happy New Year, fanboys. New Year's resolution: keep hating on falling into infinity. <laughs> nice. So what you're saying is your New Year's resolution is to continue being wrong. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, so I, I really love that second verse. Um, it's a really big change from the first, which I'm a big fan of, you know, the times that they pull that out. Uh, the solo section is really cool. There's some really wonky stuff in there with the guitar, like, you know, just smashing the, you know, the, the whammy bar and whatnot. Uh, you know, the wee, 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 wee. That's, that's really, really cool. You know, it's, it, this is a good song, man. It, it's, it's a good song. And like I say, it picks up the tempo, which is, you know, nice to, nice to see considering the first two songs are kind of mid tempo. So I, I, I kind of dig this one. Uh, what what are what are your thoughts on this song? Yeah, it's one of my favorite intros of all time of any that that giant panic piano epic opening. Um, I think I would liken this one before to like a Clive Cussler, you know, like not <laughs> stuff like yeah. you're out in the middle of the desert and you uncovered, you know, part of you know part of the pharaoh's coffin or something buried. <laughs> You know, under the sand, and uh, I, right. you know, and they use those those Phrygian like that uh, during the course that that riff right right after the greatest story never told. Like they do that descending yeah. Phrygian riff that's like the same riff that's like Power Slave basically by Iron Maiden. You know, it's you know, it's like the Creeping Death riff. You know, riff. <laughs> Good comparison. You know I mean? Yeah, yeah I, I love that riff. I mean, I mean, anytime you put that riff in a song, it's pure metal, right? You just yeah, sort of twist it around, move it around a little bit. But I love the way it just descends right off of that 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 word in the chorus and uh just big giant massive song i mean this this is one of those i had it in my in my what is it what was it we called it our epic set list or whatever our dream set like this would dream set yeah yeah this would definitely be in there i mean this is just a huge massive and it undergrows a, a decent amount of like kind of changes throughout you know and it just just such, such a killer 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 song killer riffs and uh you know once again you can chugging going you're like you're thinking about starting a mosh pit at some point you're like, well, I don't know, you know <laughs> yeah but, that's yeah. i I, th I think this is like the first time that we really get something that would be like a classic sounding more classic sounding dream theater song on this record so you're yeah. like okay this is this is kind of more of what like i signed up for i think um so that that's that's kind of my take on that um Man, speaking of guys we haven't seen in a while, our good friend JG3 checking in. He says, hey, guys, happy new year. Go birds. Got to tell you, Jay, unfortunately, I'm I'm all Niners for the rest of the playoffs. No offense. <laughs> you guys, you guys in Philly put cheese whiz on a cheesesteak. I just I can't abide that. I can't abide that, dude. All that delicious meat and you're putting cheese whiz on it. Ugh, not a not a fan. <laughs> uh, Alex Neal says, I think Lost Not Forgotten is the hilarious performance on YouTube where Petrucci falls flat on his ass during the solo. Then James lies on the floor beside him in solidarity. I have not seen that, man. I have not seen that. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> Kayla says, ah, Sarcasmio. Uh, Sarcasmo, I kind of missed you. Well, Kayla, that makes one person. <laughs> <laughs> now 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 be nice to kale you're over there in austria so i don't know how much he missed you but <laughs> austria nice oh man all right so moving on to the record we have this is the life uh this is to me this is like one of their most lush arrangements and um one of the biggest production 
biggest productions I think of, of any of the songs that I I can think of. Uh, it's just just sounds big and and beautiful and the melodies in, in all of the instrumentation are are perfect. Uh, you know the the vocal melodies are incredible, uh, and and again you know this is. Another one of James's standout vocals, I think, at, at least for me. I, I, lo- I love what he does on this one. And one of my favorite things about the song is, you know, they get into that final chorus and he goes an octave above. And I, I've always loved that change. And I, I think it works so well in this song. And this is this is just, you know, to me, again, that like not a ton of things stand out about this, but it's just a very beautiful song. And I, I really, really like it. So uh, where, where do you stand on This Is The Life? A few Pink Floyd nods in there, you know, a few nods to Silent Lucidity kind of in my mind. And okay. that's, you know, that's a compliment because <laughs> <you laughs> yeah. those are two, two heavyweights. And that to me, that's one of the greatest sort of acoustic, you know, yet lush operatic type anthems of all time. And uh, yeah, sure. I, I love the vocal performance on this um jg3 this is the life another song i'm surprised hasn't been played live since 2011 yeah i did i did not know that i'm not not surprised but this would be a sweet one to to bust out live for sure yeah i I love stuff that starts out you know kind of acoustic like that and and builds you know anytime you 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 get those that start that way and sort of end up this one doesn't go too crazy though like some of the other stuff but man this is one that you feel like they could just sit down and play you know, with the piano or just acoustic guitar and it would still, it would still crush and it's hard to make yeah. like that anymore. Yeah, no, I completely agree. That would, that'd be a really cool version of, of a song like this to hear, you know, kind of like stripped down just like acoustic guitar, piano and James. Yep. That would be awesome. That's, we, we should, we should suggest that next time we interview the guys like, Hey, we got a suggestion. You guys, you guys need to do this. <laughs> uh so yeah, JG3 says, um, I guess I'm surprised because they like throwing a power ballad in the set and it's such a good modern dream theater power ballad. And Kale disagrees. He says, I don't care for This Is The Life. It's kind of bland to me. Uh, we, I, I actually have some thoughts as to a bland song on the record, Kale, and we'll be getting to that shortly. So um, <laughs> you probably do. Uh, I, I will say that the song that I, I do that is not the bland one for me is the following song, Bridges in the Sky. And my first note for Bridges in the Sky is, yes, let's get heavy. <laughs> so I, I think we can all agree that Bridges in the Sky is just a ripper. I love this song. Uh, the juxtaposition of the verse against the chorus is really cool. Um, I, I love how they just do one, you know, something completely opposite and they just butt them together but they but it fits so well like they're so good at that i i I listen to other prog bands and they try and do that and it just sounds like oh we just stuck this other part there and dream theater doesn't do that it 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 has a purpose it's written well it flows and i love when they do that um you know like i said dark heavy verse and melodious uplifting chorus it's it's such it's such a cool combination and then you know at the end it's got that long build up up until the boom and it hits that last chord and it just builds and builds and builds and you're just waiting for it that crescendo and then when it hits it's just like oh it's like man oh man uh our good buddy chris aiken uh chiming in says what other prog bands are you listening to uh it would be a lot of them sir i just don't remember right now because 
they're on the Dream Theater station on Amazon Music. <laughs> and so when Dream Theater runs out, these bands come up like, oh, yeah. And I, I have them in my phone, and I don't remember band names right now, but there's a few. So, um, Chris, you're trying to do the impossible, get John to listen to other music. You know how difficult that is. I'm trying. I, I'm, uh, I'm going down the, the Toto Steve Lukather rabbit hole as, as we speak. I'm listening to Steve Lukather's audio book, and I'm like, I, I, I should listen to this stuff. So I'm trying to culture myself. I'm only like 45 years too late, but, uh, you know. Uh, Kale is a big fan of this. Says, Bridges, what a masterpiece. Hoping they hit Australia in 2023 so I can see this one. My second favorite from the album. Uh, first, fairly obviously, being Breaking All Illusions. Uh, yeah, that was a good addition to the set list. I enjoyed seeing it. Um, <laughs> Chris Aiken, as long as John's listening to Pantera through July, it's fine. Yeah, I, that's something I really don't need to catch up on. So <laughs> yeah, we haven't done too many new ones in the last few years. I'm quite familiar with the Pantera catalog. Uh, JG three suggests uh, Haken. Is it Haken or Haken? I think it's Haken. I love that band. Okay. Well, we, we may have something coming up with them if we can get it worked out. So we'll, we shall see. Incredible opening set for Symphony X here at the House of Blues. Man, they, okay. so they were the great band. They were the perfect band to open for them, too. Awesome. Okay. Um, so what are your thoughts on Bridges in the Sky, Brian? I love the song. I, I, you know, was it literally the second night, second night of the tour? I accidentally went on YouTube and I'm like... <laughs> I saw, and I'm like, "Oh, here's a clip of of uh, Count of Tuscany. Here's a here's a clip of uh, Bridges in the Sky." I'm like, "Wait, two of my all time favorite songs of all time. They're actually going to play." I had no idea, <laughs> so I I wasn't I wasn't mad that I, you know, I was still just so pumped to see it that uh, I was like, "Oh my god!" It's it's kind of weird how this one has grown to be the one that they've played because uh, I think someone said they did play it back in 2015 also. Um, which I believe is right because we we saw him at uh, wherever we were, but uh, yeah, this man just such a great song. I I still get chills when I hear like those those angels and it sounds like you're floating on the clouds or whatever in the beginning yeah. after, after you get the what do you call that that medicine man guy or whatever what's the word yeah. for it? I forgot shaman yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean to me it's like the first time I heard that I was like this is dumb and then I kind of got <laughs> got the concept and the idea I think it sounds killer man but because as soon as you hear that and then that the spooky like angelic keyboard things come in like like out of the rears of the lost ark or something you know <laughs> right and then you're like oh man this bridges in the sky is coming so yeah it's a just a just a great song awesome yeah uh jg3 says fun fact the original name of this song used to be the shaman's trance and the album's name used to be bridges in the sky instead of a dramatic turn of events um, I I think I think Bridges in the Sky would have been a really cool album title. Well, I that was cool with it. That was right before, but then Portnoy left the band, so that's why they changed the name. If I'm not mistaken, really? I I, no. I thought they wrote this after he. I was gonna say, wait a minute. I thought they wrote this after he left, like because <laughs> Petrucci said that no, they but, wrote all of it with a drum machine. But to me, it seems it seems like fairly obvious. That's why they chose this title. Well, yeah, I mean, in hindsight, right? Like, orig originally, the t the album was going to be called "F That Guy," but they thought it was uh, a little too obvious. <laughs> I mean, or is this a scenario like with Dave Mustaine? Oh, the sick, the dying, and the dead. That that had nothing to do with like the pandemic. <laughs> oh. 
I mean, since it's literally about a pandemic, yeah, have to do with Jeff Tate and frequency unknown. Like <laughs> F you. Okay, there, there you go. Real subtle, pal. <laughs> so moving on, uh, we have outcry. Um, I one of my favorite aspects to this song is something that always stands out. Um, you know, the second verse and the intro to the chorus kind of breaks down to just keys and vocal. I, I really like that. It, it sits up against, you know, the more extreme parts of the song really well. Uh, the prog part in the middle really, really rocks. It, it is a very classic dream theater kind of thing. And I don't think there's enough of that on this record. I mean, they definitely stay within the sound that they created for the album, but I don't think they venture away from that enough. Uh, to you know, to get into some more classic stuff that we're used to hearing, and I, I think you know, Outcry has one of those moments. And I, to to my ears, it, it's probably the most classic dream theater sounding thing that they have on the album. Um, Jordan's got the keys sounding like a sitar in that middle part, which is a sound that you don't hear a ton of from him. So yeah. I really like that because it changes it up a little bit. So that's really really cool. Um, and you know, I like how the choruses are basically the same melody, but you know, they change keys with it. It, it kind of jumps around, but it's the same pattern. So I thought that was really, really interesting because you know, again, something they haven't done a lot of. So that was kind of a little bit of a left turn. So yeah, th- I mean, this is an interesting song. Um, you know, again, though, it's one of those things. You know, like I said about the the album as a whole, it you know, again, is in that slower kind of mid tempo type of vein, which kind of you know, surprised me that they didn't really have any of those. I would, I would say, you know, something feel and tone, tone wise, kind of like uh, distance over time where there's a whole bunch of different textures to it. This one kind of stays middle of the road, I think. So, you know, yeah, for, for this, this is the one song that as much as I totally love this song, I get why people are like, okay, when we get to this, like, I feel like we kind of already did this, some of this stuff, you know. Okay. But I still love it as a song. Like I, so I have notes on, on this song from before. From I don't I don't know what episode we used it on. <laughs> so it's always funny to go back and look at your notes. Um, it's funny I would say anyway. The, the intro, it's like the heavy heavy metal one hundred and one, the ominous guitar with the string choral pads on top, which I guess that goes back to where people complain about pull me under because that's what pull me under is. You know, that's what. They did with on the backs of angels you know that's what's in parts of lost but not forgotten you know <laughs> right I mean? chugging metal riff over over that kind of stuff but uh this one too has there's those big orchestra accents which are very cool um some cool my young bass lines um uh, and then what was there's only like a couple minutes left uh before the vocals come back in jordan has that little simple kind of basic piano melody i love that Absolutely yes love that part mm-hmm. of this song. like i think that that's what sort of saves it for me for the people that are like, well, this is kind of a little bit too mid tempo y whatever. We sort of did some of this already. That to me is what the staple of this album is, is all of a sudden kind of like out of nowhere this this thing will come in and just take it to just a little bit higher level melodically and as a song. And there's a little bit more cohesion. And uh it's 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 kind of grown on me and become one of my one of my more uh, go-to type songs where like i really would love to hear this live i don't know that we ever will get this one live again if it mm-hmm. was played live but uh that would be that would be kind of an ideal one for me just as far as like an abstract song yeah no this 
yeah, I mean, going back to like not really touching on this record, this this would be a really cool one. Um, wasn't this on Luna Park? I'm trying to think which ones they played on that one. Did they play oh, it on that? I'm trying. They that played the a lot the of the record. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that I was the movie on it. But I, the idea that I remember what was in that is, you know, of course. Yeah, they they did. Okay, I I thought so. Okay, so they. Okay. Let's see the new songs they played on the backs of angels, breaking all illusions, build me up, break me down. This is the life outcry. Okay, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> JG, <yeah>. please stop. <laughs> Never thought in a million years they would play Ministry of Lost Souls Live, but sure enough, <laughs> just stop. <laughs> I, you know what? We got it. We got an email, or it was either a Facebook message or an email uh, an this message. last week. Yeah, that guy. Some guy was like, "Man, love the show, but why do you guys gotta hate on Ministry of Lost Souls so hard?" We're like, "Oh man, we don't hate it, but you know, it's just it just doesn't do it for us." And you know, it's just the I, we opposite of like it. That's all it is. <laughs> See, the, but we have never been called out for crapping on repentance, so that's you no. know, that's that's a good thing. So, um, well, uh, Kale. You talked about a song that just doesn't do it for you earlier, and I said mine was coming up. Well, here it is. We have Far From Heaven. Wow. My, yeah, my first note is, meh. It's, you know, it's just not one of my favorite ballads. And, I mean, James's voice is phenomenal. I mean, in, in, this, in this type of song, James just absolutely shines every time. His voice is just perfect for this stuff. But I, this song, I think, in terms of the way the melodies were constructed – is a little too adult contemporary air quotes yeah, it feels like sounding it. for me yeah like you know on uh, out here in cleveland that we I, I could picture it on a radio station q104 you know <laughs> like that's that's what i picture and i'm like okay like eh. and i said i don't there's just not much there for me the lyric is a little generic and you know since the music is kind of sparse that really stands out to me. So this one is just, it's not, I don't know. It, it, to me, to me, it almost feels like a demo that needed more fleshed out. Like there was supposed to be more meat on its bones and it's just never materialized. So, um, so you're actually surprised that this is my, yeah, whatever kind of song. I, just figured you'd really, I figured you'd really dig the vocal on it. I, I, I a, do. Here's a hilarious thing. Um, I almost always skip would skip over the song. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was listening to it nonstop at work because I'm like, just get me to the next one, which we won't even say yet. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, as much as I said this is a cohesive, what was what was that technical term I used? Thing. Yeah, um, cohesive piece of thing. Yeah, piece of thing. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> that was fantastic. You know, words are kind of important. Right? Like, you got letters strung together. Use your words. Say out loud and stuff. <laughs> but oh, uh yeah i used to skip this one and like i don't know that i feel this fits on the album and we don't say that too often paging vacant paging vacant <laughs> uh, well speaking of i mean is there what did we come up with before we have waits for sleep vacant this where there's no guitar or drums or anything else do we only have these three Gotta be something else we're missing here. I mean, I guess we can't count stuff off of astonishing, but I I always think of the I almost said wither, but I'm like no, because I'm just thinking of the piano, the solo piano version. That's like a yeah. So that doesn't count. Um, yeah, there's not a lot of those. 
But you know, as I listen to the song now, I like it. It 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 feels weird to me because, like I said, I did used to skip it, and like it's a song that I don't think anyone ever. I don't hear a soul ever talk about this song. Like maybe you do, but I don't ever hear this brought up. So maybe there's a lot of people, and it definitely has that that adult contemporary feel. Yeah, it's just like a melodic structure that I'm really not into. So it's like okay. I mean, it's not a bad song. It's just one I'm like just com- very indifferent like the, to. I, I think. think it'd be a killer song for James. If, you know, if we can ever get a solo tour from him and he play here, it'd be awesome. But <laughs> I think that would be a good song for them to, to bust out live. I think it would work just, you know, just him and a piano whatever. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, JG3 says, I think Far From Heaven is a great intro to Breaking All Illusions. Very similar to Wait for Sleep and Learning to Live. Yeah, I... I, I mm. All right, I'm going to disagree with you, Jan, that just because I, I love Wait for Sleep and this one, I'm just like, like Brian said, like you can skip it. So um, I, I've actually heard other people make that comment. So apparently it's not an uncommon opinion among Dream Theater fans. Just for me, I'm, it doesn't really float my boat so much. So, Well, um, moving on to, I'll intro this one, to Breaking All Illusions. <laughs> what cracks me up is... Now that I have started listening to this and then going to it, my God, Breaking All Illusions is so damn fast. It's ridiculous. <laughs> like, like, you don't realize it's like it's like a train just about to, the roller coaster is just about to fly off the track. It sounds like, I don't know if it's the drums or 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 if it's Miami's bass. Like, it sounds like someone is pushing way, way ahead, and then it kind of catches up or whatever. But, man, it's, especially, I guess, considering how slow Far From Heaven is, yeah, like I just I I heard it again today, and I'm like, God, is it is it always been that fast? I checked to see if it like was doing that thing like on podcasts where you go like 1.4, 1.5, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, double the speed and stuff. Like, I was just blown away at how fast that that beginning is. Even though I don't consider that a fast song, you know? Yeah, no. Oh, look who look who's checking in. Our our uh, House of Blues buddy Sergey Dumfrey. What's up, man? He says, "What's popping, y'all? Good to see you, bud. Thanks for checking in, man. Appreciate it." Um. I, I don't know that, see, I can understand where you're coming from, but I, I don't know that I could use the word fast with Breaking All Illusions. I I mean, I could use the word perfect. Yeah, <laughs> but, that's quite um, a word. Yeah, I mean, but I definitely hear what you're saying about like maybe like getting like ahead of the beat a little bit. Like, But, but to me, I, I don't know that I would consider that fast so much as I, I kind of feel like, I think it fits the vibe of the music. It's like it's uplifting and, and they're getting into it, you know, and they're kind of like, you know, it's pulling the train, so to speak. And so, I mean, I, I can hear that. Um, again, I, I don't know that I would personally use the word fast, but I can see where you would, you know, why you would use that. Use that well, term. it's not fast throughout, though. It just starts out so damn. I don't know. It just it caught me off guard. Like, I literally thought that it was it was playing to like the speed was off or something. Yeah. But then I looked down at the time, and I'm looking at the thing, and I'm like, "Well, no, that's right. You know, it's a 12 minute song or whatever." So. <laughs> yeah, it's dude. This song. I mean, we we've talked about this so many times on the show. I mean, just you know, the, the the chorus and the vocal melody and the music underneath. It's just all of it is just so beautiful and just so catchy. I mean, there's so many parts of this song that you can just sing along to, and you know, outside of just the vocal, it's you know, it, you know, it's it, it's kind of it's this one to me if you're gonna 
make a comparison to images and words. I think this is the song I would be, I would say is the most like it because it's yep. kind of a throwback in, you know, in the fact that it's, it's, it's all major key. There's like nothing dark or ominous or anything. And, you know, that was kind of like a hallmark of the first two dream theater records, you know, uh, dream and day when dream and day unite and images and words. And I, I think this, this has those elements and I, I, I definitely can say that that's, you know, why it's my favorite song on the record. Um, you know, Sergey says breaking all illusions is how I fell in love with a dramatic turn of events. So, um, Sergey, by the way, uh, is actually a drummer. He's taking lessons from Mike Mangini, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I mean, the and the thing the thing to me that always stands out about this one, Brian, is that the middle part goes on just long enough to be huge. It does it it doesn't go on too long. It's like right at that breaking point, and then it it leads into the end chorus and the finale so unbelievably well. And it, it's just, this song is just amazingly well-crafted. I think it's one of the best written songs in their entire catalog. So, uh, yeah, I totally agree. This, this, that's why I think this one stands out to me too. It, 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 it you could see this on images and words. I mean, it's got, there is a little bit of minor key stuff in those verses um, with the, what the keyboard's doing and some of the bass but yeah otherwise it's a kind of an uplifting major key you know like you know let's take on the world kind of a you know like a feel yeah. good feel good kind of a song but yeah it's like it's 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 one of those 12 minute ones where you're like wait where'd the time go like i don't know it doesn't you make a perfect point though that middle part i think maybe one of the first couple times i heard this i was like all right wait a second hold on here and then they got out of it finally and they're like, it almost pushes it right to the point to the point of hold on a second here like when are we going to get out of this and what are we going to do yeah. and when they do you're like oh my god this sounds this sounds absolutely amazing yeah and uh yeah i mean this this should be a a staple of every as we've said 400 times this this i I find it hard to believe how you cannot play this one live. I just don't yeah. think you can leave it out. Like, I don't know. Well, and I, I also get surprised when we've had people, you know, chime in in the chat on previous shows, and there's people that have actually said, "Oh, I, I don't, I don't care for breaking all illusions." And I'm like, "What in the hell is not to like?" I mean, I, credit to everyone. All opinions are like assholes. You know, everybody has one, as we know. But I just don't see how a Dream Theater fan could not. Who? Man, oh man, I just don't know how how you could, you know, yeah, I could have that. So, uh we we got some uh good good comments here in the chat. Our good buddy Adam Rishog, good to see you, man. I actually um side note, we'll be recording an episode of Adam's podcast here in a few weeks. We'll be doing a Metallica song draft. So, I got to brush up on my Reload and Saint Anger and Lulu. Uh, so I can make some surprise picks there. Uh, he says, Evening, gents. Busy at work, but A Dramatic Turn of Events is a very underrated album. Some of their best written songs on this album just could do without the St. Anger drum mix. I, I, well, I, I'm not a fan of the drum mix either, Adam, but I don't think anything is ever going to be as bad as the St. Anger drums. Um, JG3 says, Every time I've seen them play Breaking All Illusions live, the middle guitar solo is always incredible and gets a huge response from the crowd. I would say I actually prefer breaking all illusions to learning to live. And Sarcasmus Holio says, Jay, buddy, learning to live is the best song on images and words. You can't prefer breaking all illusions over that. You can't tell him <laughs> what he prefers. 
Oh, and now Jay's throwing now Jay's throwing shade. He says, "In my objective opinion, breaking all illusions is a superior song to learning to stink." <laughs> Dude, man, it's one thing not to like learning to live for whatever reason, but to but to come in and label it learning to stink that is them's fighting words. You're entitled them's... to your stink opinion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sarcasm, Osolio. Well, you're entitled to your stink opinion. This has turned into some insane, insanely podcasting to listen to. I know we've got we've got some great some some battling going on, battling going on in the uh, in the chat there. So all right, well, um, so that of course is the end of the record, and uh, my oh oh wait no it isn't. Unfortunately, that is not the end of the record. This again, are you, dude? I'm sorry. How you put another song after that? I have no idea. I mean that that's that's my first note. This should not have been the last track on the record. This should have placed, been placed someplace else. I mean, it's you know, to, I like this one better than Far From Heaven. You know, it it's kind of in the same boat, but at least this one has a little more meat to it. There's there's more there. I mean, it's cool melodies and but it's definitely a letdown after breaking all illusions. I mean, ima- imagine flopping learning to live and wait for sleep. Be like, wait a minute, the record's not over. Yeah, but if I, you don't have this on here, you're sitting at only an hour and eleven minutes worth of music. <laughs> I mean, you're right. totally hosing your fans. I know. Yeah, I just I was shocked when I heard this, and I was like, wait, you you put? I mean, Breaking All Illusions is like the quintessential Dream Theater album closer, and yet it wasn't the album closer, or is it? Yeah, <laughs> it's a TV or is it? <laughs> There's a good point by Alex Neal. I love how Beneath the Surface breaks all the rules. I see what you did there. Yeah. Of DT album closing tracks. Not that there's anything wrong with the prog metal epic, but ending this game changing album with a delicate ballad. It's like being sent away on a fluffy cloud and always leaves me in a peaceful, ethereal mood. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm I'm gonna disagree with you guys big time. I it just the record is over after breaking all illusions, and this is like, I mean, if you want to end it on a ballad, okay, but I, I mean, well, this dude, is not. I mean, if it's been said once, it's been said at least four hundred times. Breaking all illusions has always been considered the intro to Beneath the Surface. I don't think anyone, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's ever. I mean, we don't even have to discuss that, too. <laughs> Yeah, like like they're saying in the chat, "Far from Heaven" is a great intro to "Breaking All Illusions." No, you guys got it wrong. "Breaking yeah. All Illusions" is the intro to "Beneath yeah, the Surface." Perfect twelve and a half minute intro to a song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Um. All right. So, so where do you stand on "Beneath the Surface"? <laughs> I, I've always liked this one. I mean, I said before, it has a very uh, ELP "Lucky Man" kind of feel, and that's it's exactly what. Jordan's going for with the the Moog kind of sound Moog sorry Moog yeah. I never say it the right way anymore uh, yeah. uh, the Moog synth very cool solo thing he does uh, yeah I you know I don't know I did again I got so used to sort of playing the whole th- thing through when I was working and, and and I was just like okay breaking all illusions but then I'd hear that you know that drip 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 of the water whatever coming down and, and it's like oh crap I love this you know I don't I just love the I love the course on this course on this. I think it's some of some of his most beautiful melodies that James has ever done. And I don't I think this song kind of gets crapped on probably for, mostly for the reasons you're saying. 
and I think it's sort of underrated. I, you know, I I won't disagree with you because I I think I would like this a lot more if it wasn't like where it's at. I I really believe that because I I'm with you. You know, I I, I like the dun, 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 with the you know the the right. keys and whatnot. That that's just so cool, and it's it's kind of like a '70s throwback sounding sound to me. And right. you know, I, I'm I'm probably describing it wrong because I'm a, I'm a complete and total tool, but um. I I love that, and I'm with you. Like you said, the the Moog, and by the way, don't feel bad about that because I had no idea that it was pronounced like that until a few months ago. I I started hearing Moog. I'm like, dude, it's Moog. It's two O's. Who doesn't know that? Like, oh no, the idiot with the podcast doesn't know how to pronounce it. Apparently, <laughs> so so so. Uh, thanks for ch- coming on the show, Hawken. Did you guys play a Moog on your record? <laughs> so. I want to clarify with Adam Rishog was the the. Uh... The goalie on the Edmonton Oilers, the backup goalie, was that Andy Moog or was it Andy Moog? <laughs> there I think we go. His name is pronounced Moog, so that's why it does get confusing. Oh well, that's what I was talking about on the show. Right. I, I I knew the keyboard was a Moog. Right. I was just talking about hockey all the right. time. Exactly like we always do. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, Robert Reams. He says, you know, I agree. He says, beneath the surface sounds like it should have been a bonus track or something like that. Um, yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I. Again, it's a, it's a very good song. I, I really like it. Um, you know, again, I go back to instrumentation, and I think you know Jordan's keys mixed with, you know, Petrucci doing the finger picking stuff on the acoustic just sounds incredible, and that's awesome. I I was just ready for the record to end because Breaking All Illusions kind of sounds like that's which you know it, it, to me it's interesting that they would bookend the record this way. Like you know, like we started out saying, I I think that you know on the backs of angels is kind of like not a great album opener for this one and they didn't open with it on the tour. And then, you know, they made this interesting, you know, track listing choice to end with, you know, beneath the surface rather than breaking all illusions. So, uh, JG three is checking out. He's got to head out. Good catching up. See you guys later. JG. Good to see you, man. Hope to see you at future shows. So yeah. Um, overall, I, I, I think this is a solid record, man. I, I enjoyed it more as I went back and re-listened to it for this episode several times. Uh, again, it's not one that I come back to a lot. Uh, this is not something like Distance Over Time or obviously Falling Into Infinity or Awake or Six Degrees or something like that. But, um, um, you know, I mean, it, it's it's a good record. I, I, I enjoyed digging, digging into it, and it was fun kind of... Because I've always had this idea that it sounds different. I'm like, why... And I really started to try and think about it. And I kind of finally found an answer for myself. So um, it, I think it's a very unique record in their catalog. And um, I do you think it was a good record to to come out of the gates with for the Mangini era? I, I personally think that if they had put out something like Distance Over Time first, that that would have been like, you know, if, if you're just like, you know, pie in the skying it. I think something like Distance Over Time would have been a more definitive statement to say, hey, the band's still here. You know, Mike Portnoy leaving is not going to be the death knell for the band. What, what do you think? Yeah, again, it's like you're talking about hindsight, so it's hard to, <laughs> like, those songs hadn't even been thought of, you know, obviously back then. I I don't know. I think it, I think the fan base in general has sort of taken to this over time and maybe not so much in the beginning. And I'll go back to your, it sounds different. And you and I have talked, I don't know if we, if I ever said it on the air, I probably did. Like you went from a band where the drummer sort of 
drove the direction and oftentimes drove the songs to where now the guitar and the keyboard sort of drive the direction and drive the songs. And that is going to make something sound considerably different in my eyes. Yeah. And that's kind of the way it feels. And, you know, except before you don't get the, you don't get the big metal gang vocals, things that Portnoy did all the time, you know, like those are, those are obviously absent. Yeah. And maybe a little bit, you know, the, the metal type style of drumming is not, is, is, is totally not there at all, at least on this album. Yeah. You might've seen a little bit, maybe some hints on, on distance over time, you know, on some stuff here and there, but, but yeah, to me, that's why it sounds different. I mean, you just have a whole different mindset and yet at the same time, you know, you, you fall into that. Like, it's just, I don't know. It just feels like a, just a comfortable album. So I have a question for you since you're such a super fan and sometimes you're like really anal about this stuff. <laughs> okay. Can you ever just put a playlist together when it comes to dream theater or do you like, I'm, I'm just going to falling into infinity or I'm just going to six degrees and I'm playing the whole thing. Yeah. It, it's, it's pretty much an album. Listen for me. Okay. Um, the only playlists that I have in my Amazon Music is when we do these shows, because I because if we if like when we do the set list show or something like that, like I want to see how it's going to sound if you put it in proper order. So, uh, yeah, for for me, it's definitely not like a, a song here, a song there. Is that how you can be you're driving around and listening to music? Then it's always like, all right, I'm just going to put on, you know, balance or whatever. Yeah, I, I do that. Um, yeah, I mean, after, see, it it kind of, like, okay, if I'm driving home from, like, a band gig, it's a little different. Like, I'll, I'll kind of hop around because I'm, like, more in, like, kind of, like, a vibe. Right. Um, and, and, of course, I have to be by myself because my wife's asleep, and if I'm sitting there going, Alexa, play da-da-da-da-da, um, <laughs> yeah. which now my Alexa's going to go off, but. Um, Alexa, pause. <laughs> see, there we go. Alexa, pause. Is that Journey? I was trying to figure out what that was. No. no. <laughs> Breaking all illusions. Oh, um, that too. But yeah, so it's like when I'm using the app in my in my car on the way home, like I just got done singing for four hours and I've got a certain kind of vibe going. So I'll just like, hey, play this and I'll play this song. Like I'll just get it. But generally, yeah, I'm more of an album listener. And especially with Dream Theater, I think it's, you know, it, it's it's hard to jump around for me. Yeah, because it's there's so much happening on a given record that the songs it's not like, oh, I want to hear something really mellow. And I mean, they have some of that or I want to hear something really heavy. Like, yeah, they have that. But pretty much whatever you put on is like, oh, I haven't heard this in a while. Or, you know, I want I want to hear, you know, the heavier aspect of Dream Theater. Let's listen to Train of Thought or something. And um, yeah, I mean, do, do you make your own playlist or how do how do you how do you ingest it? I skip around a lot. I'm just like, oh, I want to hear that song or I want to hear that song. Um, you know, I, I a lot of times I'll be like, you know what, I just want to hear Breaking All Illusions. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or uh, sometimes even like This Is The Life, if I'm just going for a, a single off of here, you know. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's it's funny, like, kind of off topic, I guess, but real quick, the, the driving home after the gig thing. So a buddy of mine used to be in a Metallica tribute band and he last he stayed about a year and he just kind of got tired of it. And the bass player after the gigs, like, you know, loading all his bass gear in, he's got his, this is back when it was just CDs, you know, he's, he's got like, he's got whatever the new Slayer is like, you know, 
And so the guitar player, my buddy Tim McGorry, would be like, dude, you just said three hours of Metallica. Don't you think that's enough metal for the night? <laughs> All this guy's like, because I'm kind of like you, like I kind of need to, even just doing dueling pianos or whatever, like, you know, like or whatever, just nonstop blasting away of music. Like I sort of need to mellow out a little bit on the drive home. Yeah. And then you get tired and you're like, all right, I better crank up something heavy to keep me awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm exactly like that. I'll like, I'll pull up like acoustic stuff on my way home from Lima and I'm just like, man, let's just relax here a little bit or you right. know, big I'm big audiobook guy, so that's that's a good way to kind of, you know, not any music, just kind of listen to something about history or, you know, a musician biography or something like that. So, um is there yeah. any prayer it sounds like they're done with all this, but of doing these things, is there any prayer we ever get this album in its entirety? I would say no. I mean, the re- I mean, if you think about it, the records that they did in their entirety were huge, massive fan favorites. Yeah. You know, I mean, we, I mean, hell, I mean, in 2017 on that tour, they didn't even acknowledge, you know, like the, the 20th anniversary of falling into infinity. It was just like, you know, Hey, here, here's distance over time. Like that 97 record. Like, so I think, you know, with images and words, you got to do that. And, um, you know, important. I was in the band. They did the, you know, they only did a one-off for when dream and day unite. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I, I think it's just different now. You know, they're, they're playing the tracks to make sure everything is like razor sharp, tight in the pocket. Um, you know, there's no open jamming like there used to be with the varying set lists with Portnoy and stuff. It's just like a different era, you know, of the band. So I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we'll see that again unless it's one of those things that way down the road. Dude, hey, here's the 40th anniversary of Images and Words. <laughs> like, well, you know. let me ask you this. So we talked about Haken earlier and how they had done the um, the 12 step suite. Is that what you call it? Uh, Shattered Fortress. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is there ever a world where like Portnoy just puts a whole another band together and says, screw it, I want to go play Dream Theater songs because I can't anymore. I just want to go do it. Like John Bush happens? Like like John Bush going out doing his anthrax stuff that's coming up. Um or like nine versions of LA guns, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not, not to that lame degree, but like I don't know. I like I think he's afforded that right to do that, don't you, or no? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't think he would. And honestly, I don't know if the band would let him. Because if he goes out there and does that, then all of a sudden it's going to be a comparison. You know, invariably there's going to be the Portnoy versus Mangini thing, which is that's just going to stoke those fires. And then you're going to have singer versus singer. You know, because if he goes out there and gets some like twenty-five-year-old dude that's, you know, brand new, has the freshest voice ever, and yeah. you know, J- James is thirty years older than this guy, like people are gonna start, you know, bringing that bullshit up, and I, I just, I just think, you know, it, it'll just, it'll be a huge ass ache for Dream Theater themselves, and I don't think Portnoy would do that to the guys, so I didn't, I. But even like. A couple one-offs here and there, like he did with the thing with Haken. It's weird. I don't know. It's weird to me he hasn't done it at all, especially this amount of time has gone by now. So we're what four, 14 years since. Yeah. Black clouds. Yeah. 
again, I, I, I think I think it's more because of their personal relationships. I mean, if, if you if you look at all these situations where there's like multiple versions of bands like Great White and L.A. Guns and Queensryche and all that when that was going on, that was a product. They hate of, each other. <laughs> yeah, it's bad blood. I mean, it, right. it really, really is. Right. You know, um, you know, I mean, Alex Neal says it. He says, you know, that would end up like Roger Waters versus David Gilmore gigs. And uh, Aiken says Mike's skin is too thin to do it. Uh, which are you talking about, Portnoy uh, Aiken? Or are you talking about Mangini? I would assume Portnoy, but yeah, I mean, there, there's not bad blood there, and that would that would just stir up a cauldron of shit that Dream Theater themselves would not want to deal with. And so I don't think he would do that. I mean, it'd be cool to see because you'd get uh, all right. Aiken says both Mike's uh, skin is too thin. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think that's something that would be a good idea, and I think both camps know it. I think it would be cool if he did, like, you know, maybe a one-time thing where it was, like, three shows or something, you know, or do it once every two years or something like that. I don't know. I think, I just, to me, just after seeing Jeff Tate at that show, I'm like, you know, why not? You know what I mean? Like, I understand he has nothing to do with what Queensryche is now, and and we're going to see him, and it's going to be a great show. But, you know, that whole thing is built off of what Jeff Tate built, you know. <laughs> it's not; It has nothing to do with Tyler Torrey. As much as people really love that stuff, like, just look at the album sales, right? That's that's just reality. That's just fact, you know. Yeah. Like, like yeah. so I, I don't know. I, I, to me, I think it would be, I, I, would, I would go see it, and I wouldn't, like, you know, I wouldn't be all, oh, my God, this is better than or whatever. I just, I'd just consider it for what it was, you know. I mean, I would too, but you know, and I think a lot of fans would as well. Be like, holy crap, we're going to hear some stuff we never get to hear. Um, you know, it'd be cool to see you know Portnoy playing some Dream Theater stuff. But you know, again, I, I, I that would just stir up so much. Cr- I mean, dude, look at to this day, there's still people when you go in, in the comments section, you know, of of any of these articles, like, oh, bring back Portnoy. Like, there's still these idiots that 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 do that and. To go out there and have competing versions, like you've got Dream Theater and like you know, let's say called it Nightmare Cinema, you know, or something like when they had that back in the day, that joke thing they did where they switched instruments. Um, I, it's just it's not worth the hassle, you know. And I, I mean, that's exactly what Aiken says. He says, bottom line, Portnoy isn't broke, so he doesn't need the hassle. Uh, but Alex Neal is a good point. He says Alex says. Petty fan fighting should be no reason to prevent an artist performing his own songs. Yeah, I ju- I just think it's different from those other situations. Again, there's no bad blood, and I mean, let's face it, L.A. Gu- playing an L.A. Gun song is quite different from playing a Dream Theater song. You know, the fans don't have that visceral connection to it. You know, Dream Theater fans are exceptionally protection uh, protective over the band because. It is different. It's you know, it's kind of like our thing. It's this this little, you know, community. Whereas LA Guns fans, they may love the songs. Oh, that's a great song, but they're not going to throw a fit if you know some other band goes out there and like oh, there's like you said, there's like nine versions of LA Guns. So, you know, they're not going to throw a fit if there's like other guys doing this stuff. Whereas with the Dream Theater thing, you're definitely going to have people fighting their asses off over it, and they just don't need it. I don't know if I see that much difference between like rip and tear, sex action, and in the name of God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are... Oh, and shout out to Chris on slipping the bottom line from music's bottom line. 
<laughs> I don't think that was his intention, but <laughs> yeah, right. He's always promoting a newspaper from what, like, twenty-five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh know. my god. Yeah. No, I just I don't. I you know. Yeah, I mean Robert Reams, you know, he says it. Have to remember, Portnoy left voluntarily. It wasn't because of conflict. Well, that's not entirely. <laughs> there was definitely conflict. Well, it was just you know he was he was like right. whipping the horses too hard, right. and he he got he got they were, they were starting to get frayed, and he wanted to take a few years off, and they're like, uh, dude, like this is how we pay our pay our bills. Like we can't just take five years off. Right. So, yeah, well, here, here's another good point by Aiken. Uh, the other point might be that Portnoy ends any opportunity to come back if he competes with the parent entity. Yeah. But I don't see I, it as, like I said, I'm not, I'm not suggesting a full tour. I don't, I don't think this would be competing. I think this would be adding. It's an, it's an extra opportunity for Dream Theater fans. I don't know, just something to think about. I, I disagree. I, I think it's most definitely competing. I mean, dude, you, you know how these again, I, I'll go back to my previous point. We still get the Mike versus Mike thing. And and now imagine like you'd have singer versus singer and people going, oh, the real thing is better because the real thing. And other people go, no, no, no. Portnoy's version is better because it's cleaner and it's, well, you know, fans, more fans can do that. But competing to me means like I'm booking a 12, you know, 14 city tour and all the same places you're playing. And I'm going to play, you know, instead of the second song off every album, I'll play the third. You know what I mean? That's that's what it means to me. But you're you're probably right. It's. It's never going to happen. I wish I wish it would. I think it would be sweet. But well, I so which, basically what you're saying is you're missing something from the current iteration that you wish was still there. No, I I just want more of it because you know at the age these guys are, we we're, we're in a limited time to see them. We can only see so many songs. You know, it's kind of how I always felt about Rush. Like, man, they have such a yeah. vast, awesome catalog, and like, you know, you can't have two rushes out there. I understand. I understand yeah. that. And these guys are all older. I don't know. I just think it's. I think of it in a way, and it's it's. I'm not comparing the two, but I'm using it as an example, like the Pantera thing. Like people want to hear these songs, you know. And I understand it's it's a different thing, but you know, I just I just think it would just be something cool for the for the fans to hear. Like you know, he did it he did it one time, so I'm surprised he has not done anything remotely like that since, even if it's just for charity. You know what I mean? Uh. I I, just, I think that was such a unique experience that I I, well, that, I think that's why. Well, yeah, that, well, that's a personal thing to him too. All those, you know, he was he was the main force behind that whole thing. So it made sense that he would pick those songs to do. You yeah, know? I just I I just I just think that as much as some of that Mike versus Mike thing does go, still go on, they finally got past that, and to to do that would reignite all of that argument. And it, they just don't they just don't want to do it. You know, this is a new phase of their career. I mean, they, they've been they've been doing this for, you know, what, like 13, you know, 13, 14 years now. And they've got five records of, of stuff with Mangini. It's like it's I, I just think the ship has sailed and it, it, it just it just invites too many questions. It just invites too many questions. You know, like if he's if he's out there still doing this, why can't he come back to Dream Theater? And then people will be like, oh, well, they'll draw more people with Portnoy than Mangini and, you know, they could make more money, you know, whatever. And it's, I mean, easy question. Would you want to deal with that? If you're in this situation, the exact same situation, let's say you're in you're you're in the main band and the guy that left all of a sudden wants to go out playing your songs well, and this- like making money off of your songs. 
and all of a sudden you're gonna have to deal with with a shitstorm from your fans because I mean, are you are you going to be okay with that and just go, yeah, well, it's for the fans. I think if it's a limited thing, you know, again, I'm not suggesting full blown tour. I think you do you go somewhere and like, look, this is a special, you know, two night thing or whatever. We might do it every four years or whatever, and it goes to charity. Something like that. I, I don't see any issue with doing something like that. I don't, you know, no matter what rumors would start on the internet. Yes, full-blown tour. I, they can't do like what Sebastian Bach does or, or you know, what Tate does or, you know, th- those type of situations. I, I fully understand that, but. Yeah. So. yeah, I just, I just think it's too much. It'd be too much bullshit. So, I'm you know, would I, would I go to the Portnoy show? Of course. It's an opportunity to see Dream Theater songs live. So, you know, I mean, Aiken, one last thing, we'll get out of here. says, look up any Pantera forum and look at the backlash right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, people can't even get behind that. You know, you know, it's just a, hey, like we want to play these songs. Two of the guys are still around. Let's do like a celebration of the Abbots, you know, Dimebag and Vinnie Paul. And people can't get behind that. And... I guess my only problem with it, I think it's, I'm fine with it. I don't mind it. My only thing is, like, my biggest draw to ever seeing and wanting to see Pantera was Dimebag. And yeah. he's not there. So that's my where I'm like, I know it's going to sound great, and I'll dig, be into it if I get the songs, but that's just my personal choice of, like, eh, I'm still on the fence. I might go. I know you're going to Pennsylvania. I might, you know, still kind of on the fence. I may end up going, but. Yeah, we're going to two. We're going to, <laughs> as of last night, we're going to Pennsylvania on Friday and uh, uh, Noblesville, Indiana on Saturday. Oh, so, nice. yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I get it with, I, I, that I totally understand. Like, if you've never seen Pantera, I, I can see why this might be like, nah, it's not Dimebag. I, that's what I wanted to see. Like, I missed my opportunity. Um, I saw them a bunch of times with Dime. So I know this for me is like, I'm taking my wife and my stepson because they never saw them. And my wife, that was a weird one because she's, you know, a year and a half older than I am. And she's been to a ton of shows and somehow she missed Pantera. But my stepson, he's 21. So, you know, when Dime, when Dime was murdered, he, he, you know, he was like three or something like that. You know what I mean? So he couldn't see it and he loves Pantera. It's one of his favorite bands. And so for me, it's taking him to, to the show to show him, the power of those songs in a live environment and just how unbelievably brutal those things are. It's like, you know, it's, it's a musical experience in a way because you don't really think about metal in those terms. It's just like, Hey, how heavy is it? Like how fast is it? But Pantera is so much like Van Halen where the songs really, really stand out. And that's what set them apart. It was a different sound and it was just, the songs were so well crafted. They were more like rock you know, arrangement-wise than, than metal, per se, in a lot of ways. And I just want him to see that, to experience something like that. So, But where you're coming from, I can understand. If it's, well, I didn't, I didn't get to see Dime, so fuck it. Like, I totally get that. Well, so. I, I did see him once before, but I'm, uh, at the Akron Jar. That was the Sebastian Bach open. I think that was a killer show. But What the hell are you complaining about? I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that that would be the main element for me wanting to see them is not there. That's what I'm saying. Ugh. I'm See not, here, I thought you hadn't seen him. You ass. Oh, <laughs> no, it's the opposite. I have. <laughs> See, just, just, just like beneath the surface, you like and ended the ended a dramatic turn of events on kind of a. Uh, now you ended our show on kind of a. Uh, no, so there I, you go. Everything comes full I've circle. Coherent <laughs> point that anyone could understand, except for you know, of course, you. 
<laughs> Look, man, it's you know this is their most cohesive piece of thing. So yes, you know, musical thing, musical thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, well. Let's uh let's jump out here for the night, man. Uh, this was a total blast. Um, good to see you again. Like I said, it's been a month. I was busy moving, so I wasn't able to. All my 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 stuff got delayed a couple weeks, so I had to skip a show. But we are back on our normal schedule, so we will be back here on Thursday, February 9th at seven thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook, YouTube, TalkingIntoInfinity.com, and the CMS Network. Dot com. As always, if you guys have a show idea or just want to communicate with us, just hit us up on Facebook or send us an email at talkingintoinfinity at gmail.com. And uh, guys, we really appreciate the support. If you are watching on YouTube right now, click the like button, click the subscribe button, click the uh, notification bell so you get notified every time we go live. Uh, we got some cool stuff in the works and uh, look, looking forward to, you know, a lot of cool things that we've got coming up. And uh, one in particular, I know we got to figure it out, but I, some, when we did the fan hangout, I, I, I really kind of want to do what, what I'm affectionately calling Octavarium in the Octagon and just, you know, getting, uh, you know, our buddy Sean and Chastity back on and Adam Rishog, if he can make it, and just have a roundtable discussion because those Chastity does not like Octavarium and Sean Faust loves it. And, um, I just think that'd be a great discussion to, you know, kind of us moderate them going back and forth. So might have that on, but uh, a lot of cool stuff coming up. So thanks for jumping on, Brian. It's good to see you, dude. And I guess we'll do this again in two weeks. Sounds awesome, man. Take care, buddy. All right. Take care. And to all you guys uh, watching now or watching a replay or listening to it, thank you very much for the support, guys. We love you. We appreciate you. I uh, hope you're having a great start to your 2023. And until next time, Thursday, February 9th at 730 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Carpe Diem.